and stats versus film. Welcome to the show. We go team by team here. Give you, as we call it, one fancy football fact for every franchise out there heading into week 14. Most importantly, we take the stats from Hayden Winks's fantasy usage model, which you can check out in the description down below. We also look at the film, the all 22, the coach's copy, whatever you want to call it, and bring in the two sides of the conversation and hope you find the answers. If you're new to the show, welcome. Let's do this. Big week, Hayden. One week left for the fantasy football playoffs for so many people out there. It's go time. It's we got to know what these players are time so they don't let us down once we get again into these one and done scenarios. And tons of injury news, especially at quarterbacks. We have to figure out what the the trickle downs are from that. All right. We'll go in reverse order. That means we start with the Washington Commanders. So Brian Robinson owned this backfield. 21 carries, 96 yards, two targets, two receptions, 15 yards. Um, They did some cool stuff where they had this small gain. I know it was just, again, a small gain, but they used Curtis Samuel and 11 personnel since Jahan Dotson was back in this game as kind of a lead blocker out of 11 personnel. And they did a pick play from Curtis Samuel to Brian Robinson in the passing game. Lots of pulling offensive linemen to, you know, confuse second level linebackers from a usage standpoint. Are we in the clear now that Brian Robinson is this team starting back? Yeah, so last two weeks, 12.1, 13.1 expected half PPR points. Uh, Antonio Gibson's been dealing with a little bit of a foot injury, but Antonio Gibson's has now evolved into basically just kind of a J.D. McKissick type of player on passing situations. That's allowing Brian Robinson to be all the way up to RB24. Now, the problem with the Commanders is they're winning games. They're in close ball games. When that doesn't happen, I don't think Brian Robinson's going to fare as well. So this is going to be kind of a matchup-driven player, in my opinion, because he's not playing that many passing situations. And then Curtis Samuel's usage last week, like you said, was better than it was. I still can't trust him. Even with that game, he's only the wide receiver 55 over the last month in usage. Taylor Heineke, when he drops back to pass, rightfully so, is locking on to Terry McLaurin, and it doesn't help that Jahan Dotson's still in there mixing around as well. Final thought on Brian Robinson, and stick with me here. This might be a weird comparison, but he has just four carries of 15 yards this season. Is Not he like that too dissimilar to like what we've come to know about Najee Harris? Like, Sure, he's not as elusive in terms of forcing missed tackles and probably isn't going to be as valuable in the receiving game. But for someone who doesn't create big plays, like this is kind of that archetype of a back that is going to be more reliant on volume and more reliant on goal line touches in order to hit value. Because as much as we, you can say like, hey, if he didn't have this 40-yard run, he would only have 13 carries for 36. Yeah. In fantasy football, we love those 40, 50, 60-yard touchdown runs as well. And it even dating back to his days at Alabama, I don't know if we can really expect that ever from Brian Robinson. Yeah, I don't see a Najee Harris type of ceiling with him because Najee's just simply more athletic and elusive. Brian Robinson is, I would say, he gets north-south way better than Najee Harris does. But Najee Harris at least flashes in some other ways I don't think Brian Robinson is just capable of doing given his own skill set and athleticism, especially in this offense, which is holding on for dear life in my opinion. It is. I also want to bring up Jahan Dotson who I believe had his first touchdown since week four. Remember that opening four games, three receptions, 40 yards, two scores, four receptions, 59 yards, one score. Then you fast forward to week four, three catches, 43 yards, and another touchdown. Uh, he's been irrelevant ever since then until this past weekend. It was actually his second highest receiving yards of the entire year. 
five catches, 54 yards, and a touchdown. Um, there's nothing consistent out of this, and you'll even see, and I don't want to call it fluky ever, but it's just not sticky of how he's scoring these touchdowns, and he's not a consistent member of this offense as we can rely on like a Terry McLaurin, per se. So while, again, he puts up these big numbers, and while he put up huge fantasy points early in the season, I want to reiterate that week to week, what we care about and what we know that we can take as tangible outcomes I don't think that that's going to happen for Jahan Dotson during his rookie season. And hopefully we maybe can expect it and see that in year two. There'll be plenty of time to discuss Jahan Dotson this off season when Curtis Samuel's likely gone, probably a quarterback upgrade. And then we're going to have Jahan Dotson's low yards per route run because of target competition, quarterback play. And we'll all have to debate how good Jahan Dotson is. But I think right now, like wide receiver eighties and usage, I'm not chasing. And again, even that touchdown spinning away from three defenders, awful tackling by, I think it was 44 out there. Uh, Interesting stuff. Okay. Tennessee Titans are up next. It's week 14 and the Titans decide to fire their general manager. And John Robinson. So your instant reactions to this, because John Robinson, I'm not going to say it's unfair, But coming off the heels of A.J. Brown dismantling this defense, John Robinson's been on this team for a very long time, pulling all the strings, has made some great picks and has whiffed on a number of other decisions as well. Yeah, so I don't get the timing of this. In season seems pretty harsh to me since they're going to be a playoff team and he's been there for a while. So unless there's something that we don't know about that's going going on behind closed doors, this is interesting to me. Obviously, the timing of this after he decides to trade away AJ Brown, I'm, I'm guessing ownership and how much cash this team has played into that. Can but, you can you dive into that a little bit more? Because mm-hmm. we had this conversation when AJ Brown was dealt after the draft. While the salary cap is the same for every single team, cash flow is not. And yes. you know, some owners have just far more money in their pockets to contribute to that cash flow from what you said. I remember back in April, the Titans don't seem to be one of those. And they were almost tied behind their hands behind their back where they were forced to trade AJ Brown based on the contract he wanted. Yeah. Signing bonuses. You'll hear this, these type of stories with the Raiders as well. There's a couple of teams. The chargers used to be in this category to some degree where they just don't have the same amount of cash to hand out these contracts. Maybe that played into it. All I know is Mike Vrabel didn't want AJ Brown to be traded. And then AJ Brown dunks on them for two touchdowns and a billion points. Um, So the timing of this is weird, but obviously the GM was responsible for a couple misfires here. Um, Lots of injuries um, with, or taking risk with players that had injuries in college and then Isaiah Wilson, obviously the first round pick doesn't even play a snap and like Darrington Evans type of players in like round three, they get cut. Um, Traylon Burks is flashing, but he had a pretty slow start um, at least to um, like in training camp and, and part of his rookie season. So he made a great trade with Ryan Tannehill. Right. And I think that bought him a lot of time because that was one of the best trades of the last decade and it's kept them afloat. But this AFC South is so horrendous that this team's always probably been, and I think Mike Vrabel is such a good coach that this team's probably overperforming, maybe harsh, but in spite of his GM yeah. moves. I, I think Mike Vrabel deserves a ton of credit, and we continuously give it to him. You know, they're the number one seed last year. They're going to win their division once again this year. I think being a general manager is, is difficult because as much as you can say, like, hey, the Julio Jones trade did not work out at all. You know, taking Isaiah Wilson with a 29th overall pick and him playing four career snaps for you to be your right tackle 
they've gone through a bunch of left tackles over the years because you know Taylor Wan keeps getting injured. I read from Paul Kuharski today that they've played 16 defensive backs on the roster this season mm-hmm. and just haven't been able to invest in that. With that said, you still hit on gems in Kevin Byard, Harold Landry, A.J. Brown in round two, Amani Hooker, David Long, who's one of the best young linebackers in the league in the sixth round. Like There are definitely some hits here. I do wonder, because I believe Albert Breer pointed this out, people in the building were shocked by this news. If this was Mike Vrabel against John Robinson in some scenarios, or if it's just an ownership decision being like, hey, despite this winning record, despite us being this good, we're going to be in not seller cap hell, but a tough spot this summer. And it's almost going to be a reset. And do we want someone else to be that reset when you go and move on from Ryan Tannehill and probably not Malik Willis going forward? This probably has nothing to do with it. ESPN also released their analytics rankings on which teams use it the most. And the Titans were like at the very bottom. So maybe that has something to do with a little last type of straw thing. But yeah, the timing of this was weird. I think them making a move this offseason, we would not even bat an eye. But right now in week 14, that's where I'm still waiting for some more news. There's got to be something to this, right? And you remember when he teared up at the combine? Justin Graver pointed this out. Like when they had the small meetings, if all of you know this, during combine week with the local beat writers get like 15 or 30 minutes, sometimes even a full dinner with uh, head coaches or general managers. Whenever the bleachers where they do the bench press. And someone asks about like not reaching expectations or despite how great their regular season records are. And John Robinson just like burst into tears um, saying like, hey, we need to do better, so on and so forth. Yeah, it, it's a tough job. <laughs> it's a really tough job. Um, Mike Vrabel deserves a lot of credit. And John Robinson has been there, I think, since, you know, they trade out of the number one or number two overall pick a few years ago. So it's uh, tough stuff. Much easier to be us and analyze these moves <laughs> after the fact. Let's keep uh, it that way. It's also been tough sledding for Derrick Henry. One final nugget for this team. Uh, he's been averaging 2.77 yards per carry over his last four contests. And then in that regard, he was facing two teams in the bottom five in rushing EPA. And I'm not going to say it gets easier from here. So like this is one of those situations where Derrick Henry might not be 100% and the offensive line definitely is not 100%. Yeah, Derrick Henry, it's not just the efficiency either. His expected half PPR points over the last five weeks have dropped it down to 13.3 over the last four weeks. He's the RB19 in usage. So chicken or the egg is the offensive line. Is it the team? Is it his usage? Is it the tread on his tires? Who knows what it is? If Derrick Henry rushes for 150 yards and two touchdowns next week, you wouldn't be surprised. If he stays in RB2 land, you wouldn't be surprised. He's on the fringe of like RB12. Okay, final note. Final note here on John Robinson. You could make an argument that Jeffrey Simmons is a top five defensive tackle in the league. AJ but, Brown. But remember how five. remember how, how they got Jeffrey Simmons, though. Correct. That's a big part of it. Correct. Top five wide receiver in AJ Brown. David Long, a top 10 linebacker in the league. And, you know, Derrick Henry, a top 10 running back in the league. Like those are some of those, you know, positions aren't as valuable as others, but a lot of hits but then some core misses and then not being able probably to churn the roster at the end. But heck, even that Tyre Tart guy is coming in there and playing at a heck of a level. And he was able to get Danico Autry as one that just couldn't keep him. So, because he's been injured here for the last couple weeks. Anyways. It happens. It does happen. All right, next up, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. (laughs) Another last-minute scoring drive by Tom Brady. 
He did it against the Los Angeles Rams, did it against the New Orleans Saints. Uh, I guess probably where we should jump to is the running back situation because it felt like Rashad White got the opportunity and then kind of just gave it away once again. Yeah, he starts, uh, had 13.9 expected half PPR points, caught a lot of passes, including the game-winning touchdown, but Leonard Fournette was doing a lot of damage early. Even Leonard Fournette had 16.3 expected half PPR points. Just a bowling ball out there. Uh, to be honest, I've seen a bunch of tweets about Leonard Fournette not looking that good. Rashad White hasn't looked that good to me either, which is kind of sad to me. I think there's a, a reason why his yards per carry is so low. He's a little bit indecisive um, from what I was used to, at least off of his college film. He's got good hands, and he at least has some juice if he can get to the second level. But right now, the offensive line isn't so good. So uh, it's close to a 50-50 split. Are the Buccaneers good enough on offense to keep them both in the RB2 mix? Maybe. I think I'm viewing both of them as like low-end RB2-3 types. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if this 50-50-ish type of workload holds on. And I would guess Fournette has slightly favorite uh, to get a uh, goal line opportunities. If it's like third and one, something like that too. So tough situation D- was, did not get the full post by rookie bump right. that I was hoping for. This is still for the entire season, but Leonard Fournette owns 70% of this backfield's carries inside the 10 yard line and 70% of the carries inside the five yard line. Obviously the last touchdown was caught by Rashad white. Uh, I did want to bring up the Tom Brady stuff because man, last night against the saints, We've seen it all season long. We even dating back to last year, you know, time to throw among the lowest, if not the lowest in the league. But he got through it last year by being incredibly aggressive, throwing passes down the field, you know, led the NFL in 20 plus pass yard attempts. I understand he's 45 and you can throw that at me, but he is petrified to be hit this season. And I don't know if he's leaving plays on the field. I suspect he is because it's just so many of these short dump offs, as you're seeing, where if he was just willing to take a hit or avoid pressure, hold on to it for that extra half second. That's all we're asking is an extra half second. Then more of this verticality to this team. It does feel like a ceiling is being capped on. it's, It's weird to say this, but by Tom Brady, just because of how unwilling he is to, you know, work a play through the entirety of a progression. Um, it sucks, but on one hand, I'm actually glad that the Bucks won because I think that they're the most exciting team out of the NFC oh, yeah. South. Oh, we have to root for the Bucks. They're at least interesting to talk about. It's kind of twofold. I agree that he does seem like he's just throwing the ball to Chris Godwin out in the flats a whole lot more, which is good for Chris Godwin, by the way, uh, in his two games post ACL by bump, 14.2, 17.5 expected half PPR points. He's top 10 in usage over the last month, but Mike Evans is the wide receiver 46 in usage. Yeah. And that's the difference here is when the right tackle's not playing well, by the way, left tackle Donovan Smith, not having a good season either. You want a lot of and hugs last night. It, and the fall starts has been, a, it's been an odd season for Donovan Smith, but Mike Evans probably isn't creating as much separation as prime prime. Mike Evans obviously had that crucial drop on that touchdown. We'll never forget, but Tom Brady's also missing some throws down the sideline that in other seasons, he was hitting. So Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, I think that this gap is going to stay kind of wide because Chris Godwin is that easy button in an offense that quite frankly has no easy buttons at this point because of the talent is just kind of dwindling. So I think Mike Evans owns some of this. Tom Brady owns some of this play calling and aggressiveness. These punts and stuff are driving me crazy. Right. Uh, offensive line play. So it's all working against Mike Evans right now. So I guess he's a wide receiver three, but you don't feel too great about it. Definitely on the boom bust variety. But I think Chris Godwin at least 
top 12 fantasy fantasy receiver the rest of the season. And don't get me wrong. Like I was posting on this very show plays against, I think the Pittsburgh Steelers earlier this season, he was threading needles, having great passes, right? But where from the first day of training camp, you know, your starting center goes down and everything kind of crumbles from the offensive line there. It's just exponentially, you know, evolves when your quarterback doesn't want to get hit at all. Yeah. My other note, Julio Jones, I mean, he made a couple plays, but Tom Brady is so tilted over him at times because he he doesn't know some of the playbook. There was a couple, there was that one timeout. He missed a couple blocks on, on these would-be touchdowns in the screen game, running right. some routes. There were some routes where Tom Brady's looking at him but had to get off of him. Julio Jones has given up on the playbook in year 12. I can't blame him, uh, but that's the fact. And I believe... Cameron Brait, when he misses, Kate Otten gets something around like 44 receiving yards, which actually Aiden makes him relevant when we're talking about tight ends here. In the this problem, season. the problem though, Cameron Brait was missed with an illness. Illness, back. Right. yeah. So we're screwed. Seattle Seahawks. So Kenneth Walker, who somehow has turned into a lightning rod in the fantasy football community, we don't need to talk about that. We're going to talk about that all off season, I'm sure. Uh, he left this game after reeling off a great 30 yard run, getting in a shouting match with Geno Smith on the sideline. The details of this, and we'll get more, you know, in the next couple weeks, but Ian Rappaport reports that it's called a jammed ankle, which they hope is not serious for one, but it's different from a sprained ankle because the joint jammed down and not on one side or the other. So for a back who loves the big plays, has a huge knack for them, um, has given us awesome weeks as well. Uh, this makes me really nervous and we don't know if he's going to play this week, but also when he comes back on this too. This is the impossible situation. I feel bad. I don't have any proper analysis, but right now Tony Jones was getting in there uh, because Travis Homer and DJ Dallas and Ken Walker all dealing with injuries. So you can't even read into the Seahawks brought in some, I forget who it was. Wayne Gallman. Wayne Gallman for um, an opportunity, but you don't know if that's because of Travis Homer's injury, DJ Dallas's injury. Is it because of Ken Walker's injury? We don't actually know. So I wish I can give you more advice, but right now nobody really knows what the running back situation is. And don't listen to Pete Carroll, that guy. Uh, loves to be optimistic with these damn injuries. <laughs> uh, to be optimistic, it's easy to do that with uh, Geno Smith from Mike Asty here. Put Geno's phenomenal season into perspective. He has now tied the NFL record for the longest streak of games with 60-plus completion percentage and 80-plus rating. He's done it in 12 straight games. The only other quarterbacks to do that in the Super Bowl era, Peyton Manning and Aaron Rodgers. What's going to be great about this is the Seahawks have the third overall pick. Are they going to stick with Geno Smith, who has been a top 10 quarterback or roll the dice on a rookie? I think they're going to pick Geno Smith, and I think it's the right call. I think it is, too. It's insane. You can keep him no matter what for the franchise tag. Uh, he knows the system so well, and the system fits him so well. Like He made some mistakes early in this game, too, but just the ability that they had to, you know, despite being down the scoreboard, hit those passes to Tyler Lockett, obviously DK winning one-on-one, um, and I'm so huge Kenneth Walker fan. Like this is maybe no offense will have flipped the perception of where we want to draft these pieces from heading into 2022 as we will heading into 2023. This might be the story of the entire season. I agree. The, the Seahawks, Geno Smith resurgence. They have four top 54 picks going into next year, including two first, two second round picks. They can do whatever they want. 
move down, draft five offensive linemen, grab you the had that you offensive tackles too, you know, like grab, the yeah, guard whoever. stuff has been a bit of an issue. And a lot of, I think the reasons why for Kenneth Walker, uh, why I might be struggling with some negative runs, but you, you have pieces to fit and their defense has kind of been up and down this year, despite hitting on some of those pieces too. So maybe it's, Jamal uh, Adams matters next year too. We'll see. We'll see. San Francisco 49ers. So big changes here. Brock Purdy comes in big picture. What does this change for you? Because it's the pieces that we have with Christian McCaffrey, who got 25 touches, including eight receptions for 80 yards, but not 100%. Brown Ayuk has been relevant for long stretches of the season. In fact, Debo Samuel has not because of an injury he sustained prior to the Christian McCaffrey injury. And then even with CMC on the field, as we talked about in scheme, that allows George Kittle to get more and more open down the seam and at the intermediate levels of the field. It's confusing for the skill position. Let's start there at least. Christian McCaffrey, season high 28.5, expected half PPR points last week. Jordan Mason is the RB2 TDB active, but doesn't play on offense. Jordan Mason's the person to own and handcuff land. Uh, CMC is going to get the rock. They don't care about his oh, yeah. knee tendonitis. They need him desperately. And the way Brock Purdy was playing, a lot of his first reads were going to CMC. We'll get to that later. Uh, Debo Samuel, he has not been the same type of player. Every single time he touches the ball, just doesn't have that same exact burst playing through his injury. Brandon Ayuk, uh, wide receiver 30 in usage. And then George Kittle, he's the hard one because you see the upside, obviously, on a week-to-week basis. But in the last five games, only 5.7 expected half PPR points. That makes him the tight end 24. So, we're playing this game where is there enough production for all four of these guys who are fantasy relevant to stay fantasy relevant? Obviously, there's not a, a, a high floor for any of the pass catchers, um, but really this just comes down to what is our evaluation of Brock Purdy with Jimmy G out for at least until the divisional round of the playoffs? Let's dive into that because I, I think it's important. You and I believed, maybe we're in our echo chamber here, that the 49ers were legit Super Bowl contenders with the way that Jimmy Garoppolo was playing this season. They are still, by far and away, NFC West contenders and can make noise in the playoffs. And we also just got news that it might be six to seven weeks away from Jimmy Garoppolo potentially returning here because no surgery is needed. But let's focus on the now. In these next six to seven weeks, what do you think we can expect from Brock Purdy here as like a, a player in general? So I posted this thread on Twitter, go find it. But I was pretty impressed with Brock Purdy. Um, He's not a big player, but he can move around in the pocket a little bit. And I think that he was making plenty of reads here. Now, he's not the most talented thrower of the football. Like he could hit this bootleg and just missed it a little bit too high here. But there was many occasions where he would get to the third read and would be able to hit some throws. Now, this is like an example where he does get to the third read, but his arm strength just isn't there. And that's why he was, what, a day three pick or whatever he was. Um, But for the most part, I thought that he did pretty well in the pocket. And there wasn't, I didn't see that much difference between what the game plan would be for Jimmy G versus Brock Purdy. I think Jimmy G is faster going through these progressions. But Brock Purdy made a lot of these easy, easy throws over the middle. I don't think you're going to see anything downfield all that much, but you're going to see a lot of one to two to three progressions. And that's pretty impressive for a rookie. And I saw that a bunch of times on tape. Yeah. The Dolphins got hyper aggressive. They blitzed on 12 of his dropbacks. Uh, he was under pressure on 17 of his dropbacks. It's to me showing that one, exactly what you said that if you just put Jimmy Garoppolo's name on this, you would think that they were attacking and they were the same exact player uh, because it's a lot of stuff over the middle of the field and then some of these shorter patterns on the on the sidelines. Now, 
those can be, you know, choice routes, angle routes, sit routes by Christian McCaffrey. And again, we'll repeat, I would expect Panthers-esque CMC usage once again here, despite wearing a contraption on his knee. Um, To your point, maybe that this was like the best that we see from Brock Purdy, and maybe it's not. You know, maybe he just gets more and more comfortable with legit getting practice reps here. Um, I think it's a total unknown. But, you know, the term quarterback friendly gets thrown around a lot here with Kyle Shanahan offenses. I am with you where Purdy was, you know, actually, I think, viable in going from one to two to three. And there are some of these throws that you see to George Kittle that under duress, he recognizes it and knows, hey, it's not just the hot I'm getting to. I'm getting to the intermediate portion of this. And you know that Kyle is going to absolutely love that. Um, I just don't know. I don't know anything about him as a player. You're muted. One of the most impressive parts for Brock Purdy last week was the Dolphins. They were kept sending a bunch of pressure where he would have to sort these things out. Uh, lots of more pass rushers than they have in space. And he was responsible for some of these edge rushers. And this right. is like a great example of this. He's responsible for the, the guy that's coming, makes him miss, gets on the throw or gets on the run and is able to throw this. We saw this a couple times here, um, but this was a very interesting play. And it's kind of back to back. I want to go over. This is a blitz look fourth and four where CMC has to be blocking one of these players or get out in the route. Watch what CMC does. He, instead of blocking, decides to run out in space here and that leaves Brock pretty up to up to uh kind of out to dry he throws this underthrown pass to Brandon Ayuk which is kind of one of the storylines of a lot of these throws underneath but you see Christian McCaffrey's pointing to say hey flick that ball to me the guy that's responsible for me in man coverage is is in your lap just throw it over to me and I have a big play but what we see a, a couple uh plays later is uh you actually have Christian McCaffrey doing that same exact thing where there's this blitz, but Brock Purdy buys some time and then finds Christian McCaffrey wide open for the same exact look. Uh, so you keep seeing these, these times where the Dolphins would bring a bunch of pressure yep. and Brock Purdy literally on the fly is like making things move, was able to set his protection, knew who he was responsible for. Not that many uh, sacks taken in this game and can move just enough. So obviously there's going to be some panic throws. The arm strength isn't good. So it's going to be limited in that way. But I do think that the 49ers can win, uh, these next couple games just because their defense is so elite and the skill players are so good. I think that Brock Purdy outplayed his draft position by a mile already. Yeah. We're going to talk about this a lot heading into week 14, but they play the Buccaneers this weekend. We saw what, you know, the saints defensive line did to the Buccaneers offensive line. Now you get Nick Bose, who's playing an elite level and the rest of that defense is playing fantastic ball right now against Tom Brady. And also Todd Bowles will send blitzes, you know, and again, as you just pointed out against the blitz, Brock Purdy completes 66% of his passes, eight completions, 49 yards. Under pressure, it dropped a little bit, but he's showing at least that willingness to stick in there or buy some time and create space for himself. And you know that Kyle's going to like have this joy of creating these different looks over and over and over again, I think, to CMC and maybe we get some exotic Debo stuff too. So it's just such a weird, weird season for a team that everything is going right now for one side of the ball in the 49ers. And now this team is on their third string quarterback where even the storyline to get to their second string quarterback was so long and interesting, you know?
But also their third string quarterback played well enough this last week where the 49ers didn't even put a claim in for Baker Mayfield. That was like one of the well, little I, underneath things that we'll, popped up today. We'll get to that with the Rams. But one reason to me why I think Baker would be awful on the 49ers is one, he hates throwing to the middle of the field. And two, he's awful under pressure and awful under duress. So all of those plays that we saw that being blitzed and saying an extra man, Baker can't handle that stuff, you know? And we also already saw that Brock is is probably ahead of him in that regard. And they thought enough of Brock Purdy where they ditched Nate Sudfeld this summer, mm-hmm. who they paid $2 million to, as we talked about. Yeah, I like Brock. Fun player. All right. So we go from the San Francisco 49ers to the Pittsburgh Steelers. What do we take from this season after that long conversation we just had with the 49ers? So like the three things that stand out to me with the Steelers, one, you need to improve the offensive line. Two, you have these trick catch dunk contest wide receivers who have like their moments that we've seen and spotlighted and highlighted. And you see the clips on Twitter, but they do nothing consistent to move the chains. And they're going to have to like, you know, bring in a new play caller this summer that seems to work through the strengths or whatever those are with, can he pick it? Because none of it's working at the moment, again, from a series to series standpoint. I put this thread out on Twitter. I couldn't believe how bad the Steelers wide receivers played. It, George yep. Pickens is just doesn't have the nuance yet. I still am very bullish on him long term. And even in this season, I think that he still can be a wide receiver three kind of boom bust, more of a flex play. But he's just there was a couple routes where just too slow to get out there and it was throwing the timing off of Kenny Pickett. And then AJ Terrell, I mean, could not have clamped up Deontay Johnson more. It was one of the worst games I have ever seen. Deontay drops a pass that would have been for a pop possibly for a touchdown. There's a lot of man coverage things where Pickett would look at Deontay, see that he was so clamped, and then have to move on to Patrick Fryermuth. Right now, Patrick Fryermuth is their best skill player, in my opinion. He had a great yards after the catch play. He's flashing a bunch. Um, and Kenny Pickett, he's missed a couple throws. There's a there's this one rep where down the seam. Down, there was the down the seam one to, to Pat Fryermuth where he just missed. But there's one that was, I think, even a little bit more concerning. It, I, be, I believe it was, it was either cover, I think it was cover one, and there's a deep safety. He was holding him off, but Deontay Johnson was running down the sideline. He held the ball so long to keep that deep safety over the middle, which is good news, but he held it on so long that he uh out, he couldn't throw the ball far enough, and then the ball just right. like dies on him. So that's the limitations for Kenny Pickett. Still good on the move, but these these two skill players on the outside right now, they just got to play better, man. I can't couldn't believe how bad Pickens and Deontay Johnson were. And it has to be frustrating if you're in that building because you know they have talent. They show it in moments. It's just there are other plays where that you know their brain departs their body. And it's like they are playing wide receiver for the first time. I mean, there's, I think there's also some usage aspects of this. And I know that, you know, George Pickens has done his best work on the outside as like that X wide receiver, but he only has six total catches this season over the middle of the field. And in fact, he and Deontay Johnson have combined the season for six catches, 10 plus yards over the middle of the field, which as we talk about every single week, middle of the field, most efficient pass catching area, in the league, you know, and they can't create that at all right now, other than Pat Fryermuth. And as you said, like if Pickett hits Pat Fryermuth down that seam throw, I think against cover two, it was, then we might be having a different conversation, but I'm with you. Like it's Fryermuth is the one. And especially when you consider the ups and downs nature of the tight end position, the most consistent piece right now. He is. Yeah, I totally agree with you. There's now there's a couple of plays where, 
Kenny Pickett. It wasn't just the wide receivers where third progression backside dig that there was an opportunity there. But I thought that for the most part, this was a decent Kenny Pickett game. They just keep kicking damn field goals. Um, yeah, it is what it is. Philadelphia Eagles. I love this game from Jalen Hurts. It showed a lot because the Tennessee Titans that we've talked about, we, we've been huge fans of Jalen Hurts this season in general. But I always want to bring up how this team, and we talked about it in Scheme earlier this year, has like answers for when they struggle or when they have, you know, injuries to their offensive line or to different groups, but also to where the defense's strengths and weaknesses are. Um, but why I love this game so much is when you go back and look at like the first few weeks of the season in weeks one and weeks two, he had an eight out of 9.1 and 11.8 average at the throw Jalen Hurts did one of the leading quarterbacks in terms of attacking defenses down the field. Now, as the season went along, that dropped to like 4.7, 3.5, 7.8, 8.6. And then once again, against the Tennessee Titans, when you can block really well up front and you know, you have Devonte Smith and AJ Brown, it was back up to 10.1 yards. So while they're missing Dallas Goddard, while there are a couple of missed throws out there by Jalen Hurts, this is one of those games that, hey, our dudes are just better than your dudes, and we have a quarterback that can also win from the pocket and attack you vertically. It's a great game to remember that the Eagles are going to be matchup dependent more than most teams because I think their office is very, or for their front office and their coaching staff is very smart. This last week, they led in neutral pass rate all the way up to almost 80%. Wow against the Titans and coming into this game, the Titans had the highest neutral pass rate against them on defense because their front seven kicks ass and their back four back five, they all stink. So it was a game for AJ Brown and Devonta Smith to get there. Um, yeah, it's just a good team. And to put that in perspective, we saw when weather got bad against Jacksonville, they dominated on the ground when they had injuries along their front they ran, I think, nine of 10 times against the Arizona Cardinals. Um, and then now, as you just said, when it works out, they can lead the NFL in pass rate over expectation. That's pretty sweet. Other note from this game is the lack of tight end usage for the Eagles over the last four weeks since the Dallas Goddard injury. They are dead last in expected fantasy points to their tight ends. So just a good rule of thumb. When a tight end gets hurt or traded, the backup rarely absorbs those targets. Those targets go to the wide receivers or they go to the abyss. And it's not just the Eagles. Uh, the same thing happened with the Cardinals, who are now 31st after the Zach Ertz, uh injury. And Lions. then TJ Hawkinson, yep. they are 29th after the TJ Hawkinson trade. So tight ends, it's at the position where I think talent matters like the most. Like you are either scheming up plays for your tight ends or you're not. And like we that. have to figure out who is doing that. And that's why we were bullish on Patrick Frymouth because he keeps popping. One of these years, he's going to go off. Final note, A.J. Brown has six catches this season on throws 20-plus yards on the outside. So either on the outside on the left or outside the right. So basically not the middle of the field. Easily put, Josh. Uh, that ties already a career high for a single season for him. Because, you know, with Tennessee, it was so many crossing routes in the intermediate and even 20-plus yards over the middle of the field. And then boom, run after the catch. Now it's literally, hey, outside the numbers, we're going to knock you out in one-on-one -on -one coverage when we see single high because A.J. Brown can do that too. His running mate, wide receiver 27, Devonta Smith, over the last month without Dallas Goddard. Five receptions, 102 yards, and a score. Here we go. New York Jets time. Where should we start here? Do you want to start with the running game or the passing game? Uh, Gary Wilson. This one will be pretty easy though, right? All right. 
Let's go with Garrett Wilson then. Uh, and Corey Davis. I actually might want to bring up Corey Davis. You can start with Garrett Wilson. And I'll do Corey Davis. How about that? Okay. Um, 17.5 expected half PPR points without Zach Wilson going into this game. Garrett Wilson comes in 24.2 expected half PPR points that led all wide receivers right now. You can make a case that he's a top 10 fantasy wide receiver. Oh, yeah. If not, he's, he's close to that. Uh, the white guy good enough to move the chains, not good enough to have 70 yard touchdowns, expect lots of dropbacks. It's almost like the perfect formula because they keep getting Braxton Barrios and stuff involved instead of Elijah Moore. Um, well, all- kind of like, Barrios had his snaps last week, but Elijah Moore dominated him, like crushed him in terms of it, like 58 snaps, 45 routes run for Elijah Moore compared to 20 snaps and 12 for Braxton Barrios. Okay. That was better than the week before. Elijah Moore still, better. still the wide receiver 59 uh, because Corey Davis is the one that actually popped off for 18 expected half PPR points last week. Oh yeah. And not only is this a Corey Davis highlight reel, it's a damn Mike White <laughs> Like some of these passes were threads. Threads, Mike White. Like we love to see this stuff. Um, some of these were on third down. Some of these were blitz. Some of these are on fourth down. You know, look at this throw. Like, boom, we get him down the middle. Here we go. Over top. Let's go. All right. This next one, even better. Stem. Inside. Hip pocket. Throw it just on the outside reach of the cornerback in his like upfield hip pocket. If you even zoomed in and saw the replay that the broadcast booth put in there, I don't think Corey Davis was ready for that football. It's basically like it hits you so much in the numbers on target that you were forced to catch it. Um, And I want to point out that there are tons of runs and we'll get to the running game here in a second that go to the outside that this is why you're going to continue to see Garrett Wilson and Corey Davis have the vast majority of these snaps because they are blocking their asses off once it gets to the edge. And these edge runs are now where, you know, so many of the explosive plays in the running game are happening to them. And uh, a big sign of a night run couldn't have happened if either of these one guys took a playoff block. They still said that they plan on Zach Wilson playing at some point this season. That is no. such shit. That's such shit. I mean, uh, let's talk about the running backs, not, not Zach Wilson. Uh, Donovan Knight, season high, 20.0 expected half PPR points was the lead back. Ty Johnson is going to get in there, but they just like Zonovan Knight. They gave James Robinson a couple touches early and said enough of that. So we'll see what happens with Michael Carter. Like you said on the last show, uh, even if Michael Carter comes back, I can see them just sticking with these two. Michael Carter and uh, Zonovan Knight can do a little bit of a one-two and maybe they have Ty Johnson mix in just a little bit. But uh, if Michael Carter is out this next week, I think that Zonovan Knight is at least on the the RB2 uh, fringe just because Mike White keeps throwing the damn ball. Bold prediction. Even when Michael Carter comes back, I think Zonovan Knight might be the more productive player. I hate that you say that, but it's possible. The juice that he brings, and as much as a big fan I am as uh, Michael Carter, even here, like for example, okay? He catches the ball two yards in the backfield. It's already a second and seven. You have Patrick Pearson, another defensive player waiting at the sticks. He creates that first down because foot in the dirt, get to the sticks. Here, hey, another explosive run on the outside. This team hasn't had this at all since Brees Hall, and it was their identity earlier on. Look, I'm not saying Zonovan Knight is great at football right now, but what he does have is straight line burst. And I think that this team understood that he was their best option for that behind the scenes. And we've already seen it in practice 
on the field with 15 carries for 90 yards, five receptions for 28 yards. Like that is not just, oh, this rookie, we have to play him. It's playing over Ty Johnson. It's playing over the guy they traded for in James Robinson. And at least for me, and I can be totally wrong here, I think it's because it's going to be playing over Michael Carter too once he gets back. All right. Yeah, Michael Carter has been disappointing this year. He's much better as a rookie. In my I opinion. agree. I totally agree with you. But look, foot and dirt. Let's get upfield. Split the tacklers. You get the first down. And the runs, too, are a lot of fun. Like, we showed you that one on Sunday night where the center is pulling all the way out in front and sealing Eric Kendricks. That's where the right tackle is pulling out in front. It didn't create a lot of yards, but it's a counterplay, too. So Mike LaFour can get rid of Braxton Berrios stuff inside the 10 and in the red zone, but keep scripting these cool runs for uh, Zonima Knight because I think they're going to work not nearly as well as Brees Hall, but at least we can get some of that production, too. Here it is. Sam Knight, hell of a name. Great name. All right. We have the New York Jets. We also need to talk about the New York Giants. I think this is the most, if not the one of, defined teams out there. It's, hey, Saquon Barkley, who, you know, Evan Neal is back and hope we can get a touchdown or explosive play each week now. Uh, Daniel Jones and his rushing, especially against the Washington Commanders. Um, and then Darius Slayton will pop up here and there for a big play. And if he comes down with them, then you're going to get probably, you know, four for 66 yards. Yeah, this is one of the worst offensive stretches for the Giants of the season. And even then, Darius Slayton is the wide receiver 42 in usage, but wide receiver 22 in production. He's just been pretty efficient this year. Um, the way that he's used um, is pretty productive for fantasy. Definitely more of the boom bust variety, but hopefully we get Ben Bredesen back there. The guard, Dane Bellinger back is good news. Bellinger, at least 83% of the routes, if you're in the worst of spots, he's at least on the radar. And then Saquon Barkley, I think, is back locked in as an upside RB1. So I'm with you. This is the most straightforward team basically in the league. Uh, they do get the Philadelphia Eagles this weekend, then the Washington Commanders after that. Uh, again, I wouldn't be shocked if Daniel Jones is not able to accumulate rushing stats against this Eagles team. And so... As we showed you in the Pick'em lobby this weekend, I think his rushing totals was at like 32 and a half, higher or lower. Um, he hit that in the first quarter <laughs> against the Commanders. So the Commanders are really bad against rushing quarterbacks. This Interesting. Season. Something to note. All right. Next up is the New Orleans Saints. So I have a fun graphic to show you from our buddy Sam Hoppen. According to Ben Baldwin's fourth down model, the Saints have gone for it on fourth down zero times when they should have this season. So Dennis Allen, one and done, not to generalize here, but maybe this is why uh, in some cases, defensive coaches should not be the head coach. Yeah, it's very tough. There's no excuses for that. I mean, this, is, this, is a, this is an absurd graphic to show you because like even, <laughs> even the second team is the Panthers who have done it five times. And they're not in many fourth down scenarios that have mattered this season. The Saints literally have none when they should have. It's not good. And shout out, look at the Bills, the most aggressive team. Right. Yeah. Let's go. Um, yeah, Alvin Kamara over the last month, running back 29 in usage. Last week, Mark Ingram was playing a lot. And it wasn't just because of scoreboard or anything like that. It was just Mark Ingram was playing. Now, he was a little bit banged up, uh, didn't have a good game himself, but... Right now, the offensive line's been a mess. And like you said, they're not aggressive at all. And the quarterback play hasn't been as good in the last couple of weeks as it was kind of in the middle of the season. And it's even impacted Chris Olave, who over the last month of the season 
wide receiver 41 in usage, only 9.1 expected half PPR points since week eight. And that kind of coincides with the offensive line injuries. So still really like Chris Olave. Um, but I'm worried about Alvin Kamara and especially this team is basically on the brinks of giving up. Can we talk about Rashid Shahid? Please. I love this dude. <laughs> so I know people love to isolate yards per route run among rookies and projecting that's for, you know, when they get more opportunities and more on the field, then that tends to develop into quality players. Right. Um, Rashid Shahid has like barely played this season. He's now approaching like 150 or a hundred routes run, something like that. If you put his up to the other top rookies this season, it's up there with Garrett Wilson, Christian Watson, Chris Olave. And so forth. the best Chris Olave. That's not so stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, he's super tiny. So like some of these are schemed up stuff and all but, speed, but I mean, he was winning some, some legit routes last week and he, every single time he touches the ball on special teams, it seems like he's going to house it. So he's somebody, I mean, he's going to be on the freaking who like pick your favorite Traquan Smith path. He's going to be on that stuff. But right now, Marquez he, Calloway, he's fun. I just want to note that because I don't think we've brought up his name at all. And uh, he's been spicy. Love it. He's been spicy. New England Patriots. I don't know. I mean, I do know that Ramondre Stevenson is going to get a lot of work, but like this is a Patriots team now that is six and six. Again, you have the quarterback yelling at the play caller. They've lost two in a row. Now they get the stretch. Like they must beat the Arizona Cardinals. They must beat the Las Vegas Raiders, but it's to the point where other than Ramondre, if Damian is out, uh, the only one I care about. Yeah. Jacoby Myers, the not nice wide receiver 69 of the last month in usage. And that's dropped that is a ton. Tanked. That's been a that's cliff. Yeah. It was like a top 20 um, at one point. So pretty crazy. They're rotating their, their wide receivers. None of them are very good to me. Uh, I guess like the only one I have some optimism for is like tight end two streamers. Hunter Henry has at least had 8.2 and 7.2 expected half PPR points. Um, which is basically the highest it's been all year. But I'm with Mac Jones here. Enough of the, sh- the quick game. The quick game is just shit. Like, you can't throw quick routes to these guys and ask for yards after the catch. None of them are going to give it to you. So um, I need more throws over the middle. I need some some Mac Jones to take a couple shots. See what you got. At least give me something. Yeah, and if you put up the heat maps of where the Patriots were throwing the football last year and where they're throwing it this year, it's wildly different. Um and just in general, the offensive line is way worse. And everything crumbles from there. Everything crumbles from there with this Patriots team. And yet they're still in the playoff mix. <laughs> they are. Minnesota Vikings, 10 and 2. We'll get to it a lot this week. They are what? Two and a half point underdogs on the road against the Detroit Lions this week? Correct. If you haven't read that, there's some news that might floor you. Uh, zero respect. In some ways, I get it. When you go back and watch the Vikings this past weekend, you know, Kirk Cousins opens one for seven. Uh, They have Justin Jefferson and couldn't get him as involved as they probably wanted to against the New York Jets. They make just enough plays over and over and over again to to win games. What should we know from the team other than what we keep on saying where, hey, TJ Hawkinson comes in. He's getting incredibly involved for a tight end on this team. He's exactly what they need. And that is quote unquote, opening things up for Justin Jefferson. Optimistic lens is they have Justin Jefferson who should be in somewhat in the MVP conversations just for kind of lulls. But 
the defense eventually could get healthier. And this is a first year uh, coach and scheme and all that stuff. And maybe that gets better as the season progresses, but obviously they've been very lucky this year and the models don't like them. The betting markets don't like them yet. They still have a chance to be the number one seed. So we have to take them serious for Super Bowl conversations because they could end up with a buy um, for fantasy purposes. This one's as straightforward as it gets. Alvin cook still remains a positive regression candidate. He's locked in to top 12 status. TJ Hawkinson's balling out. Um, has weirdly missed a couple potential spiked weeks from him. And then I think Adam Thielen, he's averaged 1.5 fewer expected half PPR points since that TJ Hawkinson trade. Obviously those two kind of similar parts of the field you can debate. Um, so that's not a surprise there. And there's some of those games were like crazy, like 80 play games for the Vikings too. So feeling more of a flex play, Justin Jefferson, we're just hoping that he gets another two touchdown game because he's been dominant. And if you do want to, and are curious why the Vikings, again, could be underdogs on the road here to the Lions. This is just one metric that, you know, is underlying reasons why people in the desert and Vegas are pointing this way. Uh, 26th here with both negative rankings on offense, negative rankings on defense. Yikes. Meanwhile, the Broncos are at ninth. Yeah, I mean, that's just... (laughs) It's crazy. But I mean, look at they play the Lions, the Colts, the Giants, the right. Packers, who may not have Aaron Rodgers at that point in the season, the Chicago Bears. No, I'm not saying that I believe that the Lions should be favored. I'm just saying that there are people out there that clearly they are and that they don't believe in the Vikings. Um, I think it's a good coaching staff. I, I do too. That's why I think I, Kevin O'Connell is legit. I think they're going to end up playing, outplaying their current metrics, but same. still not be in that same tier as like the Cowboys and them. Same middle ground. I'm with you too. Miami Dolphins. Did you have a chance to watch this game with the Dolphins? I spent so much time analyzing every breath Brock Purdy took that I've not gotten to the Miami Dolphins yet. <laughs> so I think multiple things are fair here with the Dolphins. One, they had a great play, the what, 75 yarder to open the game from Tua. Now, the strength of the 49ers of anyone else by far is protecting the middle of the field with Fred Warner and company and Drake Greenlaw had a great game as well. So if you're forcing to away from the area where he has diced up defenses so far this season, then you force him to areas where he is less comfortable, which is mainly outside the numbers. And this is just a great play that shows really the length of what Fred Warner does. And in this area, if you all watch the scheme episode with, Josh McCown, you see that middle of the field? That's typically wide ass open. There's 17 yards typically when Trent Sherfield or Jalen Waddle or Tyreek Hill cut into it. Not here. Fred Warner is right there. And so while maybe on television, and also to was getting hit at this time, which without the top two tackles is going to get is going to happen more often. And then you're trying to throw over the top of Fred Warner, and it just makes things more difficult. The point I was trying to make, if you force Tua away from areas that he is most comfortable to sideline throws, then mistakes are more likely to happen. I will say, I don't expect Tua to miss as many open receivers as he did in this game, no matter who they play, even if they played the 49ers once again. So I think it's fair to credit because I at times it feels a bit binary when you're saying, well, the 49ers did this all to Tua, or the 49ers did this to Miami offense. Sure, they forced them to areas where they aren't as successful, but it was also a bad day from Tua. So like 
I do not believe that the Dolphins offense has been solved. I do not believe that Tua, this is now going to be a tailspin here. I think it was a bad day at the office against the worst case opponent that they will not face once again until the Super Bowl if that happens. And I don't think that this is a Jared Goff blueprint that, you know, Matt Patricia and Bill Belichick put out there and then he was stumped. Yeah, um, obviously, no, not everybody has Fred Warner, um, and it's not just him out there. Um, but I also wonder if there's like a product of just being a little bit more under pressure, not feeling as confident because of the offensive line injuries in play. And then when you put to a instead of those throws over the middle, they have have happen to be cover two shots down the sideline stuff. Does he have the arm strength? And that's where those kind of conversations happen. That's why all of the film nerds are lower on Tua than what the stats and all that stuff say. But like you said, those throws over the middle are going to rebound eventually, potentially as soon as next week. I just hope that we get Teron Armstead back because that's how you get some of these spiked weeks. The on-off splits uh, remain pretty drastic with and without their left tackle. Los Angeles Rams. So they bring in Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield was easily the worst starting quarterback on the Panthers this season, despite receiving the most chances. You know, he had 10 batted passes in seven games. He allowed 28% of pressures to turn to sacks this season. Now he goes behind one of the worst offensive lines in the league that's allowing a ton of pressure. Uh, I think that this is a multitude of reasons. One, the Rams know that their season is totally up. Uh, two, apparently John Walford is also going through a neck issue, and it's why you know their backup quarterback in this past game also got thrusted into there. I think Baker Mayfield has to prove he's an even NFL caliber player at this point, because what we saw from him this season was awful, literally awful. Yeah. If you're basing it off of his current play, then he wouldn't be in the league, but he's a first round pick. And a lot of people, including apparently Sean McVay were relatively high on Baker Mayfield coming in the draft. So he's going to get more opportunities. It makes sense uh, for the Rams. I think this is a layup like this. I, I couldn't believe people were like mocking this by the Rams have you seen their backup quarterbacks right now? Have you guys read what what the injury is to Matthew Stafford? We haven't talked about this podcast oh, yet. Oh, it's real bad. But it's a it's a like spinal contusion, and he needs surgery on his neck, and that's why he had numbness in his legs. There's other players that would just retire off of this. It's I'm not leaving it uh, out of question that Matthew Stafford, along with Aaron Donald, some other Rams retire. So they're they have no first round draft picks. Their cap space is in hell. You got to take chances on quarterbacks, and I'm sorry. Uh, Baker Mayfield still has a higher ceiling than anybody else left on the the market. So you have to roll the dice. He's probably going to suck. Most likely outcome, yes, but you have to take the gamble. Who else? Are you, John Walford? I mean, come on. There's credit. John Walford was blitzed on 31% of his dropbacks, pressured on 44% of them. If that happens when Baker Mayfield's out there, again, the the outcome is just going to be dire. It's going yeah. to be real bad. Most likely it's going to be bad for everybody. But, but it's a free still, shot. It's a free it's roll the, is what you're the, saying. It's the only shot. It's the only right. shot you have on target. I hear right. you. I just have zero expectations. And so many of these teams, as you said, do continue down and try these players out because in their mind that they had number one overall pick, our draft grade on him. Ever since those first two few years in Cleveland when the situation was perfect, he's been bad. And this is the worst that we've seen from him this season. So um, quick notes for just fantasy purposes. Cam Akers did well last week's season high, 12.9 expected half PPR points. That was a neutral game script. Kyron Williams the week before when they were in ne negative game script, he was the one that's leading. There's not one versus the other. It's which game script are we getting Kyron on passing downs, Cam Akers on 
uh, early downs, most of the time the Rams are going to be losing. So I, yes. I would still put Kyron Williams probably slightly ahead of Cam Akers, or it's basically a toss-up. You don't want to be starting any of these players. And like Tyler Higby, he's been blocking more. He's still so inefficient. Uh, Van Jefferson, I guess, if you're super, super desperate, but uh, go outside, don't watch the Rams. 17 carries for 60 yards and two touchdowns. It really puts into perspective just how long a calendar is for someone like Cam Akers when you know, he was just getting back to an NFL field this time last season to then being the third string running back in week one to not showing up at the trade deadline and the team saying we're basically going to move away from you to now in week 13 getting 17 carries for 60 yards and uh, and two touchdowns. Crazy. Also, Brandon Powell, if we're going to bring up Rashid Shahid, Brandon Powell has a little juice to him. They're manufacturing stuff to him each and every week. And as soon as he touches the football, it's like jets and we go straight and we create yards. Special teamer. He's kind of cool. Final point. I know I spoke in generalities. If there are any Baker fans out there of saying like, he's just not good. I would implore you to go back and watch some of the highlights of the Panthers this season when over the middle, he cannot throw there under duress. He crumbles and outside throws. He was air mailing wide open receivers and like DJ Moore. Where are these? Where are you finding these Baker optimistic people? There are a lot of them. Jeez, your mentions are a mess. There are a lot of them. Los Angeles Chargers. So another great stat from Sam Hoppen, which I think is 90% true, but it sounds so exaggerated that it might not be. But it's been over 330 days since Justin Herbert has had an average depth of throw of over nine yards in a single game. It makes sense if you watch him. <laughs> um, yeah, the good news potentially is Big Mike he's at least going to practice. Now I'm hoping they're not going to rush him back like they did for the 900th time in franchise history. Um, but there's a chance that he comes back and that those would be better than throwing prayers up to Deandre Car- Carter and it puts Josh Palmer in a better spot where he could be a little bit more efficient, but yeah, Corey Lindsley on off splits drastic with their center. He's like an all pro type of player at his peak. Uh, he's got to come back from the concussion protocol to take this offense very seriously. Before we move on, if you've made it this far, Obviously, hit the subscribe button, leave a thumbs up, check out all the other content that we have on the channel, including the rankings that we have on Thursdays, our guys, our top plays of coming up week 14. Those are on Fridays with a guest. And we also have Scheme, my show with Josh McCown, where we go through and this week it's on the Dallas Cowboys focusing on their offense and what they're doing so well. Um, waiver shows, instant reaction show on Sunday night, so on and so forth. Thumbs up, subscribe. Last note, best note of the podcast. Pick up Josh Kelly this week, just in case. Oh, he's 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 completely surpassed Isaiah Spiller. Go through the list right now of like the best running backs in the league. If you remove some of them, a lot of them become two back committees. I think Joshua Kelly would absorb most of the workload. He's like one of the few league winners that's probably available in ninety percent of leagues. He's he's a must pick up this week. But the other part of that is so much of Austin Eckler's production this year has been the receiving game. Do we trust Joshua Kelly in the receiving game? Wow, that's big coming from a Trojan to a Brewer. As a Trojan, yeah. Las Vegas Raiders. Raiders fans are happy. They're so optimistic right now. Three straight wins. They've scored 22, 40, 27 points. Coming up, it's those Rams. It's the Patriots. It's the Steelers. Potentially six straight wins here for the Raiders, who have legit talent. The number one running back in the league in Josh Jacobs. The number one wide receiver in the league on any given week in... Devontae Adams, it's been up and down all season long. I think criticisms of this team from start to finish has been extremely fair. 
But in this little streak and bubbles of seasons that happen, they're on a heater. Absolute heater. Uh, Devontae Adams is unguardable, and Josh Jacobs is running over everybody. Um, Darren Waller, Hunter Renfro could come back um, very soon. We'll see. We'll monitor their situations, but that would improve the roster. The defense is still a total mess. Last week, they got some hustle sacks out of Chandler Jones, finally. It's basically Max Crosby and nothing on the defensive side, but that really actually helps the Raiders um, get into some shootouts there. If you take a step back and just look at their overall offensive numbers, pretty good this season. Yeah. And obviously because of the contract and Mark Davis not being able to pay it off, so on and so forth, but now just by the wins, Josh McDaniels will return next season. And if you notice even back to, you know, like the Cam Newton days uh, when he was calling plays for the Patriots, they'd run flea flickers like every single week. Yeah. He's doing flea flicker every single week for this they are back in a big season. way. And they're working. Yeah. <laughs> no team wants to make the flea flicker more relevant than Josh McDaniels as a play caller right now with the Raiders. One's a one a week. It's crazy stuff. I'm here for it. I, I love it too. Build a whole offense. Build the boat around flea flickers. Uh Kansas City Chiefs. You want to start with the backfield here? So Isaiah Pacheco, 14 carries for 66 yards and a score, two catches. Jarek McKinnon. Eight carries for 51 yards, two catches, and a touchdown there. Have we learned anything now over these last two weeks for the Chiefs backfield? No. In fact, it's actually gone completely opposite. Isaiah Pacheco is playing the two-minute drill, and Jarek McKinnon had three uh, touches inside the five-yard line, and that was flip-flop the other way. I still believe Isaiah Pacheco is the early down guy. Uh, but Jarek McKinnon, 13.9 expected half PPR points last week in a game that was a must-win. I keep kind of going back. Jarek McKinnon was their bell cow back in the playoffs last week are they gearing up for something like that i think that Jarek mckinnon is definitely somebody to be uh holding onto your bench and the isaiah pacheco stuff he scored that eight yard touch and that kind of saved his day uh but even with a lot of this usage recently he's only gotten up to the rb20 so mm. more of a flex play to me and Jarek mckinnon especially like full ppr i think you can get away with it in the flex as well um they're kind of confusing. I, I just keep going back to the bell cow work, workload late in the season last year for Jarek McKinnon. Well, it, it, it's almost as if Andy Reid doesn't want to give tells and he doesn't want to be, you know, as sticky week to week as some of these other franchises are. We're like, hey, this running back plays in these situations. This guy does in this one. They change things up each week. It feels like. Um, did you see Jarek McKinnon get that goal line run and run to his blockers back? And it looked uh, yeah. like driving down the highway at 70 miles per hour and a bug hitting your windshield. Mm-hmm. Kind of funny. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know exactly what to say here. This touchdown run is great. I think they do are showing more trust in Isaiah Pacheco each and every week. And I think that is more evident that they're getting more involved in the passing game. You know, it's only two receptions, but a couple things like there are design swings or design screens for Isaiah Pacheco. And as weird as that sounds, in an Andy Reid offense, you have to have some trust in order to get those and something scripted around you. And it feels like at least compared to, I don't know, week four, we're in a different spot with Isaiah Pacheco now. And so while the expected fantasy points might not be that great each week, because again, the rotation is so wonky and weird and the running back usage, especially near the goal line, isn't as consistent. Um, I think there still is something to having the lead ball carrier on the Chiefs as we approach the playoffs. Yep, I agree with that. Wide receivers, Juju Smith-Schuster comes back 26 of 32 routes, doesn't get that many targets. I still think that he's just going to go back up to RB2-3 land. There's a little bit more of a wide receiver rotation 
right now, even with McCole Hardman sideline, MVS, he pops up for a couple of big plays, but only 20 of 32 routes. And the man is just allergic to touchdowns this year. Um, Sky Moore, they took him off of uh, punt returns, but he's still just barely mixing in. So it's really hard to get excited um, with any of these pass catchers. I would obviously make the case for Juju uh, first, aside from Travis Kelsey, but they're spreading the ball out a lot and it's, it's been working for the offense. It just hasn't been great for fantasy. Yeah. And we get like the highs and lows of MVS on near like a weekly basis. Like this is a great throw from Patrick Mahomes, obviously off his back foot, but if he didn't have pressure right in his face, that potentially could have been a touchdown. And it feels like any time that we see deep shots to MVS this season, it's none of the long touchdowns that we got from Aaron Rodgers last year. I go back to the Chiefs game in my head over and over again. But then when he does get touchdown opportunities like this one, a sliding catch, he should come down with it. He just simply doesn't. Uh, it's not working out this season. No. Uh, they can release him this offseason for some cap hit. Um, we'll see what they do. Yep. All right. Jacksonville Jaguars are next. So I think that this is like a, a microcosm, again, of where we are in the season where Travis Etienne has been incredibly explosive for large portions. Um, now, however, it's not the case, despite getting like the best opportunity he's ever received so far this year. Uh, our boy T-Strack pointed this out. Uh, he has 88% season high snap rate last week, but he has 99 rushing yards in his last two healthy games. And so it also comes up against the Titans, the Cowboys, and the Jets in their next four games. And from a defense matters perspective, those are three very difficult defenses to run on. His usage has dropped. He's now the RB 31 over the last month, and that removes his uh, injured games. Uh, despite those 88% snaps, only 11 expected half PPR points. He just simply needs the offense to play better, to get more goal line opportunities and all that stuff out. And I, I think Ken Walker is a much better player than Travis Etienne personally, but if we're going to give excuses for Ken Walker for some of these boom bust weeks, I think we have to do the same thing for Travis Etienne, just the way stylistically how he runs. So it really just, what's your evaluation on Trevor Lawrence? How, how optimistic can you get against some of these tougher matchups? I do think that he might be closer to RB 10 to 12 ish instead of like top 10. And we definitely had a couple of weeks where I was ranking him inside the top six. I mean, just looking at his full season numbers right here. So he finally got the start in week six. He went 10 for 86 there. Then you get 14 for 114, 24 for 156, 28 and 109. In that span, there's also four touchdowns scored. Mm -hmm. And he has no other touchdowns scored in the other parts of his game or parts of his season. So it it is, again, I I, know this is how I keep bringing it up, but we live in these pockets during the NFL season. And like, that was an awesome four week pocket. And now we're in like a bad three week pocket and it's hitting at the worst time when we're all getting to the fantasy football playoffs. Again, when they face the Titans, the lions and the jets over the next three games. Yep. That's why we look at regression and the entire sample of the year. Anything you want to say about these receivers or do we, we know, I was expecting on them. I was expecting a soliloquy from Zay Jones, number one fan, Josh Norris. Uh, Christian Kirk, though, wide receiver 11 in usage. He's the wide receiver 12 in production over the last month. Uh, he's a legit wide receiver too. Zay Jones, boom bust. Indianapolis Colts. So whenever these rookie wide receivers emerge, I think it's really easy to get excited about them. 
Uh, we know that Alec Pierce did that with eight targets, four receptions, 86 yards, and a score. Archetype for me, he's an intermediate and downfield contested catch wide receiver with, unfortunately, a quarterback who rarely throws down the field. Uh, J.J. Zacharyson put out this chart where Matt Ryan, only 8% of his passes have traveled 15-plus yards down the field. He's completing them. But again, with a player like Alec Pierce, you want to be in the green. Yeah, I mean, we can't get excited about Alec Pierce this year. He's wide receiver 64 at UCLA, does even behind Paris Campbell, who's been taking a huge hit, only at seven expected half PPR points since Jeff Saturday's got there. They just don't, they're not aggressive enough offense. It's Matt Ryan's not playing enough to even keep Michael Pittman, who's clearly their best wide receiver that afloat. Michael Pittman's in the 30s in production and usage over the last month with Jeff Saturday. So, um, man, it's just a sad sad team uh i miss those jeff saturday 25 to 20 win tweets where they were dunking on dunking on joe thomas is that a good luck joe thomas yeah i mean it wasn't just him it was mcafee it was every group at espn dunking on everyone else too and then we get uh really bad stuff who could have expected that it tells me uh but the positive under jeff saturday is jonathan taylor's back to just ridiculous usage 88% 88% snaps, 87% of the running back carries, 86% of the total touches, and has run a route on 83% of snaps. Yep, RB2 in usage over last month with Ooh. Mr. Saturday. Houston Texans are next. I mean, there is nothing to say about this team. It's that pocket of the season and the rest of the way probably that Damian Pierce does not matter. Uh, Brandon Cook's calf injury, whenever Lovey Smith, I don't know if you watch these press conferences, gets asked about it. You can tell he's just instantly lying. He's like, oh man, you know, calf injuries can just linger for entire rest of seasons. You never know how to predict these things. I wouldn't expect Brandon Cook's to play. Yeah, I think it's fair. Um, That helps Nico Collins. uh, 17.7 expected half PPR points. I I believe had a bunch of air yards. I know he was missed on deep target, um, missing the red zone as well. But Nico Collins, wide receiver 31 over the last month on wide receiver 15 usage. That's at least pretty good. Now, this is one of those refresh the box score, don't watch the tape, and hope that Nico Collins pays off. I think that we are at least in play. He should be rostered in most leagues, especially if Brandon Cooks um, takes the rest of the season off, which I would not blame him at all. So can we play a quick game? I know we're going long here. Damian Pierce, project where he goes in fantasy drafts next year because we got kind of the two samples one anyone who watches damian pierce falls in love because he's the type who creates yards in his own can create big plays too was getting more and more involved in the pass catching game but this is also the texans the worst team in the league who are going to get better but it's easy to say like again looking at the sample when they're so down the scoreboard he becomes irrelevant And if you are projecting them to be better next year, how much more? And it's also, at the end of the day, a projection. I would say he's going to be like a fifth, sixth round pick. I think like the worst case is we get Michael Carter, where we're like, ooh, kind of interesting uh, middle of the pick. And then all of a sudden we get rugged out by a different running back. And now I think he's been playing better than Michael Carter. Um, I'm assuming it's going to be Bryce Young as their quarterback. Fifth round, somewhere, somewhere in that. Okay, so just for comparisons, this past year, Ezekiel Elliott was drafted 40th overall. Mm-hmm. Brees Hall was drafted 48th overall. Cam Akers, 56th overall. AJ Dillon, 58th overall. Cam Akers makes sense somewhere in that. We're taking, we're, you're taking on a risk, but I think that he's good enough 
to hold on to this role. And the Texans have so many other needs because that they don't have the luxury to take that that running back spot like the Jets did. I, I hear you. And they already have maybe one or two, at least two, maybe three of the pieces along the offensive line that work. I guess I asked that question because if I, if Damian Pierce is on a good team or an average team, he has top five ceiling to me. There's a chance. Uh, could you do me a favor and ask uh, Josh McCown about Damian Pierce before it's too late? Oh, <laughs> hey, I'm <laughs> just send him an early text saying, uh, hey, no matter what, Damian Pierce running back one. <laughs> yeah, at least we need his evaluation on record just in case. Who knows what's going to happen? Uh, Green Bay Packers. So Christian Watson keeps doing it. We talk about instant reactions every single week. Six targets, three receptions, 48 yards and a score. One carry, 46 yards and a touchdown. We talked about the Martavis Bryant comparisons. You know, Matt Harmon made them. And then the NFL account on their own tweets out that he and Martavis are the only players with less than like 45 career touches to, you know, have so many touchdowns on the record. Anyways, just a crazy, crazy streak around right now. He's had over 11 uh fantasy points over his expected total over the last month of the season. He's he's unstoppable right now. It's it's in the ways that he flashed on tape in college where we actually had the end around touchdown this time. Yep. And it's all these deep crossing routes, deep sideline routes um, where he's been making some plays. Uh, even even if he does regress, my model thinks that he should be the wide receiver 23. And, I think, important. At, and I think at this point, like we have to assume that he's probably a better than average wide receiver. Otherwise he wouldn't be going on this level of a streak where he wins is fantasy relevant. So um, I don't see why not to be relatively optimistic right now. Yep. Get him in space, go routes, crossing routes, hand the football at times. Uh, they are on a bye this week, but after that they get the uh, Los Angeles Rams and the green Bay and excuse me, the Miami dolphins after that. Um, Alan Lazard real quick. Oh, uh, wide receiver 44 over the last month. Romeo Dobbs expected back. It could get a little bit messy there. Um, we'll see. All right, moving on to the Detroit Lions. Lots to hit on with the Detroit Lions. Let's start off with DeAndre Swift, at least on paper. And you can tell me what the Excel spreadsheet say. Highest opportunity in months for DeAndre Swift. 14 carries, 62 yards, and a touchdown. Six targets, four receptions, 49 yards. It's weird because Justin Jackson's still playing like meaningful snaps, but, and it's a big, but the lions have been so damn good as a team and their offensive coordinator is balling out of his mind that right now, Jamal Williams and DeAndre Swift are both top 22 in usage. DeAndre Swift up to the RB 12. He got that goal line touch after ripping off a big play to get himself down to the goal line. And then they let him polish one off. Jamal Williams, I still think is the favorite at, at the goal line. I think Jamal Williams had a good game in his own right. Uh, but right now they're just playing so well. Like their team total this yep. week, is going to be top five borderline at home. The Lions uh, defense can't stop anybody. And it's that play right there. These swing routes where it's Jared Goff, classic Jared Goff, throwing the ball to DeAndre Swift instead of uh, throwing the ball downfield. That's kind of been Jared Goff's MO and DeAndre Swift at his best is catching the ball out in space where he doesn't have to read anything and just make one defender miss out in open space. So um, I would say that he hasn't done him done anything to me. That's changed my like opinion of him you. as a player, but the offense right now with the Monroe St. Brown cooking and the offense just playing well is good enough to keep Jamal Williams and DeAndre Swift afloat. 
Very well put. Again, these bubbles of the season, we started off with the Lions scoring 35 points, 36 points, 24 points. It was when the wide receiver talent, the running back talent, the offensive line talent was all healthy, right? Then Amon Ross St. Brown gets injured. So does DeAndre Swift. So do some of the offensive linemen. You score zero points, six points. And then everyone starts coming back, you know, and you go on once again, this streak of putting up a bunch of points. That's, that is the lions, right? Like that is Jared Goff in a nutshell. When you have good protection, then Jared Goff can put up 25 plus points each and every week. And if we're going to score that, then these backs, especially when you have someone who's so specialized in Jamal Williams with one yard touchdown runs, boom, we're going to get points to your notion that I haven't seen anything different with DeAndre Swift. I agree with you. The swings and the open space runs are so important for him. When you consider that he had five carries of 10 plus yards in his opening 15 attempts this season on his next 49 carries, he's only had three runs of 10 plus yards. So he still hasn't had that same explosiveness, at least as a running back, you know, as a true runner, but we're always going to have that open space Ness to Swift's game. Just hope they trust him. Like, I think there is some trust factors in the back end, and it does seem like, not that we've turned a corner, but we are getting little preferential treatment versus one-to-one with Justin Jackson and Swift. And he at least was left off the injury report. He was practicing full for like a month, but he was actually left off of it entirely this last week, so maybe that matters a little bit. But I just wanted to bring up what the Lions have done recently. This is quite the franchise all of a sudden. Offensive line looks great. Lots of young talent. Amon Ra, Jameson Williams eventually is going to be a superstar, in my opinion. Jeff Akuda bounced back season after that tour Achilles. Aiden Hutchinson's making enough plays. Probably not the number two overall player, but definitely a, sol- a solid player. Jamal Williams and his gyration still under contract for next season. DeAndre Swift emerging. 11th most cap, cap space. They can trade Jared Goff right now uh, because he's been playing well enough. I-, I know it's a lot of it's like play action numbers, and they're not all that sticky, but he's at least productive fourth overall pick 15th overall pick three more day two picks. The lions, I think are going to win the NFC North next, next year. Brad Holmes, such a nice guy to be honest with you all. Uh, my cup of coffee in the NFL, he was the South area scout Southeast area and could not have been a nicer dude to me. And even at the combine, when I see him now, he goes and like, Pulls me aside for 15 minutes. Like, I saw you on television. Blah, blah, blah. We have a great time. Talked to me about taking Amon Ross St. Brown. Said that they were, no team was more excited that Amon Ross St. Brown ran like a 4-6-3 than them. Because they knew that they could get him where they selected him. And by the way, Nate Tice had a great stat on the Athletic Football Show this week. 20% of Amon Ross, 20% of Amon Ross St. Brown's routes this season on third and fourth down are converting into four are converting into first downs. That's the third best in the last decade. I mean, you see it in the field every week, but just the routes converting into first downs is crazy stuff. Fourth in the league in EPA per drop back when Amon Ra St. Brown is out there for Jared Goff. Fourth? Answer that. When the offensive line is active, when he is active and healthy, this offense puts up points. It's really simple. It's really simple. Uh, And I think that's sticky. The question is for all of you, and we'll talk about this more heading into these previews, with the waves of DeAndre Swift, can you start him each week? And I'd say yes. Right now you can. Both start. Yep, I'm with you. Denver Broncos, 
Start no start. No one. <laughs> Next. Even with Latavius Murray getting so many yards, it's, it all feels empty and hollow. And I don't know what to do. Like the story and narrative of Broncos fans going from elation this offseason to now even looking at like the dead cap hit of what Russell Wilson might bring and like leaning into it possibly, talking yourselves into it possibly, dire. Yeah. Um, Greg Dolchitz, at least 9.8 expected half PPR points. Cortland Sutton left with a hamstring injury. Jerry Judy coming back from his own injury. Um, we should have skipped this team. It's okay. depressing. Dallas Cowboys feature this week on Scheme. So I thought that this was another perfect example of the usage of Ezekiel Elliott and why it can be a positive and the usage of Tony Pollard and why that can be a positive. Because like, there was a time when I think Ezekiel Elliott took five straight runs straight up the gut into the heart of the defense of the Colts. And then Tony Pollard, while he can do that, and we've seen him, you know, win in the middle between the tackles. In this case, used a lot of bunch sets, tight ends to pin the edge rushers and the defensive lineman of the Colts, get him out in space, and you saw magic happen. It's another start both situation. Zeke Elliott, RB6 and RB22 usage over the last month. And his healthy games, Tony Pollard, the RB3 on RB11 usage. Um, even last week, Zeke Elliott, 15.3 expected half PPR points. That's rock solid. And then Tony Pollard, bankably dunking on my model. He's the most efficient running back uh, per per my metrics uh, for points over expectation this season. So uh, Dak Prescott, as I'm sure Josh McCann will put beautifully later in the week, is playing out of his mind this defense is still creating plays so right now it's it's a team that's very good for fantasy and very good for super wads and they replace the 49ers in your mind as being super bowl possibilities oh yeah i think i think that they would be multiple point favorites over the eagles and anybody else that they'll play in the playoffs it's just will they get the one seed probably not that's probably going to go to the eagles right so their super bowl odds are gonna be the same but i think straight up the cowboys man i would love to see what the point spread between like the bills and the cowboys would be the chiefs and the cowboys because it would be i think pretty tight yeah as mike clay points out the cowboys have scored at least four offensive touchdowns in five consecutive games you know who they play the next two weeks i don't even want to know texans and the jaguars oh god <laughs> That's good stuff. That's good stuff. Okay. Cleveland Browns are next. Deshaun was awful. We talked about it on the instant reaction show. With all that said, Amari Cooper did have a huge target share in this game. I don't know. The performance was so bad that I don't know what to take from this game because it felt like they could have and maybe should have gotten Nick Chubb and even Kareem Hunt going more, but it felt like they were trying to live through the growing pains of their quarterback looking abysmal in his first start out there. It didn't help with all those obviously non-offensive touchdowns. So they, there wasn't that much play volume. So I think right. that Nick Chubb and those players would, will do better. Um, yeah. Deshaun looked so terrible that I'm a little bit concerned for Amari Cooper. Um, he had 12.4 expected half PPR points, which is pretty good for how little they dropped back. Um, I do think he's going to dominate targets, but we'll see what Deshaun Watson, what happens there. This like, the widest range of outcomes on a for a player right now to me is Deshaun Watson. Like this thing could completely fall apart. He can go back to where he was an MVP candidate. Um, we'll see. I, right. I I don't think any not a single person could feel any confidence in any, any of their predictions. We're just rolling the dice. Correct. Because again, there's two sides of this. Hasn't played a football game in 
700 days or whatever it is, but also practiced with this team all summer. And those reports were hot and cold on the day preseason did not look good. And this one did not look good. So for example, right now their team total, they played the Bengals on the road at 20.5. So that's, that's probably resetting expectations a little bit. So we'll see. Meanwhile, the Cincinnati Bengals are on a roll. Coolest thing to me that I looked up because remember Joe Burrow coming out of LSU had some real rushing production. You talked about it a lot at our old stop. We didn't see it that often during his rookie year. We definitely didn't see it during his second year coming back from that knee injury. We're seeing it now. He's adding about 4.4 rushing points per game. You know, that's not Jalen Hurts caliber. It's not Lamar Jackson caliber. But it's still ahead of, you know, the Justin Herberts of the world for sure. And this it's almost between tiers. Mm-hmm. And that's just a cool floor that he brings to the table. But then when you're so decisive and working through the pre and post snap reads and everything and running on such a consistent hot streak right now, um, Joe Burrow is one of the quarterbacks that obviously I would rank top five for the fantasy football playoffs. Yeah, some of the gun run looks that he has is good. The Bengals running backs right now have been playing very well since they made some schematic changes. Joe Mixon was playing well before his concussion. Samaji Pirine has been absolutely electric over Crazy. the last course of the last four weeks. Um, Joe Mixon likely back um, after being limited last week, but it was not able to clear concussion protocol. I think the Bengals, I think there's a tier. It's the top four teams. The Bengals uh, are number five in my opinion, I think that they'd be multiple point favorites over the dolphins. I think they're one of the emerging teams. Can they pass the Ravens, uh, in their division? Uh, it's going to take some, some work due to some tie breaking stuff. But I think right now, nobody wants to play the Bengals, um, especially the chiefs. Yeah. They're both eight and four. I mean, the Bengals were four and four before this, you know, four game winning streak. Uh, Samaje Piran just nuts. That stuff. I mean, I was so wrong on, the Chris Evans can take him over. Never did during the preseason. And what we're getting is awesome usage. I don't think though, it's to the point that it'll cut into Joe Mixon stuff. Once he is cleared, because even though we have seen teams treat, you know, concussion players differently this season, Joe Mixon was extremely comfortable and playing at such a great level prior to this head injury. With that said, like that play or that drive after Travis Kelsey fumbled it, there were three straight checkdowns to Samaj P. Ryan over and over and over again. Uh, they are using him as a full-time feature back here. I've lost sleep over Chris Evans over Samaj P. Ryan this, this year. <laughs> it's lost. okay. It's okay. But will it matter in week 17? <laughs> it, it may. <laughs> <laughs> if it does, then I will never hear the end of it. Uh, Chicago Bears, they're going into their bye week. We saw an awesome long touchdown run from Justin Fields. Uh, We also saw Chase Claypool play 33 snaps, catch five for 45, and still not seeing much. 33rd overall pick, folks. Yeah. There's nothing here. They're going into the bye week. We should just move on. It's a long show. All right. Carolina Panthers. So coming out of the bye, they're just three and a half point underdogs to the Seattle Seahawks this weekend. Just some points there. Just three and a half point road underdogs, the Seattle Seahawks. Mm -hmm. So when we consider neutral, potentially even positive game scripts based on what we just saw Cam Akers do to the Seattle Seahawks, Deontay Foreman could be once again in play here. 
Yeah, Deontay Foreman's the most game script dependent running back there is. He's is an RB one when they win, and he's an RB four when they lose. So it's on us to figure that out. I'm shocked there are only three or two and a half, three point dogs here. That makes no sense to me. But well, total of forty three and a half. I would expect that to be higher, actually. Right. You know, when Sam Darnold's coming to town, you have to you have to believe. I mean, he's clearly their best quarterback. Oh no, I, I'm just I'm yeah. just joking. Yeah. Okay. Anything else you want to say with them? No, please, please no. Buffalo Bills. So I think this is an important conversation to have here. It's about all the running backs because I I felt like the the Bills had a game plan to get all three backs involved. Like that entire first drive, you saw a lot of Naeem Hines jet action, which in a weird way was the most we've seen Naeem Hines play this season. So he was, you know, the guy running across the formation pre-snap and forcing defenses and linebackers to avert some of their focus and draw some attention. But what that also allowed is what we've seen from Devin Singletary uh, in neutral and negative game scripts to own the backfield. But in this game, James Cook, 14 carries, 64 yards, six targets, six receptions, 41 yards. This one's very hard. Um, Devin Singletary plays early and late including gets a goal line touch at the end. James Cook is the third one to get a touch here after Naeem Hines, who also gets a goal line opportunity. They split touches like 40, 40, 20. Um, James Cook has the most burst, I would say. He's also the least experienced. Um, Is there an argument that the Bills want to be more pass heavy and go with James Cook and Naeem Hines over Devin Singletary? I'm here for that argument, but... They've also been more balanced this year. So I think that it's going to be a little bit tough situation. I think that they might all cannibalize each other to be like RB threes, but um, definitely worth picking up. If, if any of these guys are available, just because you know, you don't know how injuries are going to break or if there is a role change uh, heading into the playoffs. Um, I'm not sure if I want to be betting on any bills right now. Just historically, you've kind of been a mad team for fantasy running backs. Yeah. To your point, Despite Devin Singletary, again, at times this year, when they're leading or when they're trailing, owning this backfield, you know, 76% of the time. Um, now, when they've gone way ahead, that's probably when we've, other than this game, seen the most of James Cook and other people in the backfield. Despite being, again, the feature back, Devin Singletary is like running back 22 in fantasy points per game this season uh, on an offense that we mostly love. We mostly love. So, cannibalizing I think is a really good word it, it's interesting to me though that that happened not in a short week because they both played on Thanksgiving then played on Thursday but didn't it feel like to you when watching it where that was atypical Naeem Hines usage that like yeah. that it was and I, I want to watch it moving forward because if that's how they're going to use him that's unexpected to me and I've, I've been wondering how they're going to use this type of back but at the same time with the six receptions for James Cook We've seen games dating back to last season with Devin Singletary that in the structure of the play, Josh Allen started to take checkdowns more and more and more. Miami Dolphins game, for example. And while I don't think he is great on contact, he definitely has burst going in a straight line and some juice going in a straight line. And James Cook is probably, despite, again, Devin Singletary doing, showing solid things this year. James Cook might have the most, whatever the word you want to use, upside in that department. Yeah, 15.6 expected half PPR points. That was a season high for James Cook last week. I think I'll be ranking them in the low 20s for fantasy purposes, probably pretty close to each other. I'll look for some news out of uh, 
Bills camp. Uh, quick other notes real quick. Uh, Gabe Davis, it, it is what it is. He's the RB25 usage over last month. He's due for a big game. We'll see what happens. Dawson Knox has been so frustrating oh. for me this year. Like last week, 88% routes in this offense, but career low 0.92 yards per route run and 4.6 touchdown rate. Way lower than it was the last couple seasons. Just, I don't know what it is. Yep. Excited to buy back in in 2023. I'm not, but I will. Baltimore Ravens. PCL injury for Lamar Jackson. They are being the most vague about when and if he is going to come back. Um, Here it is from Adam Schefter. One to three weeks. Thank you. Uh, already said that Jackson is quote unquote less likely to play Sunday versus the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yep. That makes sense. So with Tyler Huntley coming into this game and this team, what do you expect the trickle down to be? So I think Tyler Huntley is one of the better backups in the league. He's not nearly as explosive as Lamar Jackson. Um, I think that he's not going to throw the ball downfield as much as Lamar Jackson would, but he made a couple plays this last week and got was enough at least to, to beat the Broncos. Um, the Mark Andrews stuff, this is where it kind of gets interesting. Lamar sure. Jackson and Mark Andrews, obviously the, the efficiency would be higher between them. But if Huntley's not as likely to run the ball, if they're less likely to be winning games because of the efficiency, we could see the Ravens pass the ball in general more often. And when that's happened with Tyler Huntley, uh, Mark Andrews' target share goes from like 24-ish percent with Lamar Jackson up to 29%. So while, yes, I would I would rather be watching Lamar Jackson and Mark Andrews continues, he still needs to be playing better than what he is. I don't think this is the craziest. I don't think you should change your projections all that much when it comes to projecting fantasy points for Mark Andrews because I think Huntley's good enough to get there, and I think the offense will have to pass more just because the environment has changed. None of the other wide receivers matter. They have not no. been playing well. So last season when Tyler Huntley came in, and so did Josh Johnson, I'm not going to say Greg Roman changed his scheme and stuff, but it was definitely – peppering the middle of the field to Mark Andrews. I mean, he had 11 for 115 in a score, 10 for 136 in two scores, eight for 125 in a touchdown. And while Mark Andrews this season is still the tight end two in fantasy points per game, which is pretty crazy to say with, you know, his production over the last few weeks, that's still six points behind Travis Kelsey on a points per game basis and 1.3 ahead of Dallas Goddard, who is, you know, the next closest tight end. So, it was funny when talking up Mark Andrews this summer, you and I did, uh, we got some comments saying, well, he only did his best work when, when it was Josh Johnson and, and Tyler Huntley. One, we get that back right now Two, He was also, I think the tight end two last year with, with Lamar Jackson, uh, he turned into the tight end one with this backup quarterback scenario. So I can't say if it's because it's also been Mark Andrews fault why he's not scoring more. Yes. He's spiking touchdowns in the end zone instead of scoring touchdowns but maybe just magically connects and it regresses back to what the expectation is for him. Uh, for running backs, uh, I got completely rugged. Bad call by me for Gus Edwards last last week. I'm done Coming with it. into it. 16.5 expected happy points last week. It was 2.5. He was still the starter, still got the most run early in the game. Then it went to Kenyon Drake. Um, I don't feel good about either of them. Someone made a good point with what Travis Kelsey's doing at tight end. Should we just get rid of you have to start a tight end every single week in fantasy football and instead start five wide receivers? It would be less fun. Ends? It's it's more interesting. Like it, I, it sucks, but um, he's breaking I, it. He's he's broken the position. Well, if, is that going to maintain for the rest of our lives? Probably not. And also, 
this is what's interesting for for best ball mania three in particular obviously travis kelsey i believe the second highest advance rate of any tight end but if you were the late tight end people if travis kelsey has one bad game during the stretch all of a sudden you've unlocked a position that nobody else has all the mid-range guys have all sucked or are injured if you punted this thing off i think you're in good shape let me know in the comments down below after the video if you think tight end should just be positionless in fantasy football and instead form and fold into wide receivers. But I'm with you in best ball. I think it's easier to overcome because you can Dr. Frankenstein that position with a bunch of late rounders like we did with David and Joku and a few others. Just pretend the position doesn't exist and let everybody else overdraft them. Okay. Speaking of next week, I'm going to say this. This is the last week of the regular season for best ball mania three. And the person that drafted the best team first place heading into Again, those playoffs wins $1 million. We'll break down that team next week on the channel. Told you, tell you what they did well, why they did it, go through that entire draft. Because uh, there are some learnings if this team holds on in terms of some missed picks in the first seven rounds, which uh, I wasn't expecting for a quote-unquote perfect team. Atlanta Falcons, two more teams left. We can do it. So we'll start with Drake London. 12 targets, six receptions, 95 yards. Because it is the Atlanta Falcons, Hayden, I don't think that this really matters and it can't be, you know, sticky week to week. But what I think it does show is maybe we can take this game when talking about Drake London heading into 2023 and it shows just how talented he is. Because if he had the same opportunities as some of these other rookie receivers, I think it shows that, like, hey, earn targets and so on and so forth. Throw them away because Drake London's good at the game. I think he's good at the game. Um, season or I think it was the second highest uh, expected half PPR points, highest since week two. Um, we'll see what happens at quarterback. This is the first time where the coaching staff at least left the light on for it to be Desmond Ritter, and I think a lot of people are expecting is, is to be Desmond Ritter out of the bye. I guess I'm open to it. Mar- Mariota has missed too many passes for me to truly care about him, and he hasn't been running all that much to be fantasy relevant himself. Um, yeah, I they just need to start throwing the ball up to Drake Lennon because he's he's a good contested catch uh, wide receiver. I think that he does more creating separation-wise than most people give him credit yeah, That's for. a great route. This yeah. is a great route. I he's mean, good. he turns the corner inside out here. He's Land, a good player. Boom, or what? 6'3", 6'4", 6'5"? Yep. Um, over the last month, he's the wide receiver 35 in usage. I still think that he is a flex play when he comes out of oh. the bye. Probably, probably a wide receiver three kind of in Don't that territory. That no, I mean, no Kyle Pitts. I think I think there will be some on-off splits without Kyle Pitts. It makes sense why he mm-hmm. had a big game here. Is Olamide Zacchaeus on the field? Um, CPAT is not on the field all that much. Tyler Algier is still playing like 50-50, and there could be like a little post-buy rookie bump narrative. Uh, the, the season's over the, for the Falcons, so do they want to give CPAT a bunch of carries? Um, he's not a long-term option. We'll see what they do after the buy, but I don't feel good about CPAT all of a sudden. Yeah, I mean, actually, all three of their running backs lead the NFL in eight-plus defenders in the box. Uh, 37% of Tyler Algier's runs. 33% of Cordero Patterson's runs and 33% of Caleb Huntley's runs. So just make them like difficult for yourself. Atlanta Falcons. And they've played, they won too many games to get a elite quarterback. This I don't know who they're going to get. Yeah, me either. All right. We close with the Arizona Cardinals. They are coming out of the bye week. I haven't done this research. I'll look it up. Maybe while you're talking, I just hope one of Greg Dortch or Rondell Moore plays in this. So we like, we finally, 
get the answer of where Hollywood Brown is going you to play, this where DeAndre Hopkins is going to play, and where Rondell Moore slash Greg Dortch are going to play when all three are on the field. I mean, I've been waiting literally 14 weeks for this. You, you really have. And I, I truly do wonder how much it is actually going to change your fantasy rankings and adjustments based off of where they're lining up on the yeah, field. Yeah, my, my fantasy rankings change nightly, Hayden. You know they yeah. do. Right. Um, yeah, we'll see. All I know is James Conner, 17.3 expected half PPR points per game since being the bell cow. I think that James Conner has a chance to be a league winner. Um, I think somebody that you'd want uh, some exposure to if you were able to advance him in Best Ball Media 3. Um, yeah, DeAndre Hopkins, Marquise Brown, I think they'll be like wide receiver two threes. I don't think either of them are going to separate from each other, especially if we get a legit slot receiver back in there. Yeah. I mean, in terms of throwing down the field this season, Kyler Murray is 27th in the league in attempts of 20 plus yards. That's got to change if all three are healthy for once. That's why I keep asking. I want to see some. The only wish I have for week 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18 for the Arizona Cardinals is one deep shot from Kyler Murray to Hollywood Brown. Just one to connect because we haven't seen a single thing this year. From them. I want James Conner to be a league winner. No, that's not fair. We we saw a lot early on as a volume and even contest catch pass catcher from Hollywood, but we haven't seen a 50-yard touchdown like they had at Oklahoma together. All right. That's going to do it. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Long show. Big show again as we go into week 14 on Thursday. We'll have Hayden's rankings, tiers, quarterbacks, running backs, and wide receivers. On Friday, we have 15 of our favorite players, the only ones that matter. Let's put it that way for week 14 with a special guest on that episode. And go and watch the other episodes of Scheme and especially this week on Friday morning on Dallas Cowboys with Josh McCown. That's going to do it. Up the villa, everyone. We will. Talk to y'all soon. See ya. <laughs>